Hi, welcome to Revved Up for Sunday. We are the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Justin Crisp. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And Peter Walsh is away this week. This week, we have a lesson from the 12th chapter of Luke's Gospel. That is loads of fun and we're excited to discuss it. Basically, spoiler alert, Jesus tells you it might not be the best idea to seek the advice of a financial planner. Let's hear the story. <laughs> Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Here ends the lesson. Wowzers. Well, what, do you, yeah, what do you make of this? this? I got to preach on it. Although maybe I'm going <laughs> to preach about Colossians. I don't know. This, this, this is a little close to home for me as a 30-something-year-old trying to get his 401k off the ground. <laughs> Good point. Uh, Good but point. What, what, what do you make of this? Incredible, incredible parable. It is incredible. And I, the context it's in, it, it's sort of funny because I think we've all been, you know, as teachers or people um, leading group discussion, often you'll have the experience where, you know, you feel like you're really on a roll and you're giving a great lesson or, or even, you know, teaching a Bible study or something. And, well, this happens to me a lot more in the context of the preschool. Not that I don't adore and love the preschoolers. They're wonderful and they have so much wisdom. But, you know, I'll be giving the best lesson and, and one of them will say, you know, I have a fish at home, you know, <laughs> some sort of like non sequitur. And I think they're going to ask this great question about the topic at hand. And so Jesus, you know, he's on a roll. He's giving their, his disciples these important lessons about following him in the midst of persecution and, um, you know, openly pro proclaiming their allegiance and so on. And in the middle of his sermon, this guy's like, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. <laughs> you know, it's complete non sequitur and it's not on topic and it's completely focused on his preoccupation with his wealth and his problem that he's having right now. And, and Jesus is like, he's never sucked into these sideways or hostile or I, this doesn't appear to be hostile, but it's certainly um, a triangle, an effort to get Jesus to be a judge for him mm -hmm. and, you know, set his brother against him or, you know, work it out for him. And that's just not Jesus' role. And he says it plain, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? So, you know, in this era, the rabbis settled these things or, or the lawyers. And so Jesus, he, he's clear that this is not his role as rabbi. He's not going to take on that role of judge or arbiter. So 
um, you know, he takes the high road, but he doesn't miss the opportunity. And he takes the, the, I mean, he's so quick on his feet because even when he could be thrown by this person who's out at left field, yeah. he has this, this perfect opportunity to go from telling his disciples, you know, trust in God, all, all these things to, to pivoting into beware of putting all your trust in possessions and wealth. Yeah. So once again, it's just Jesus in his genius method of teaching. And so the, that's more the lighter, you know, bird's eye view that I find the context is so compelling. Um, I totally, I mean, it, it's as though here Jesus is saying, I'm not that kind of rabbi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're totally right uh, that, that in Jesus' day, it would have been, it's not a, it is a non sequitur, but it's not a totally unreasonable thing for somebody to go to a rabbi and say this. It's, right. it's much more reasonable than it would be say for today a member of saint mark's episcopal church to come to one of us and to say hey i'm having some issues oh, yeah. with uh you know with with my parents estate can you come in mm -hmm. and intervene in a legal fashion i'm going to be like uh i think i need a law degree to figure any of this yes, out. Right. I, I, i'm totally unqualified yeah. well more the timing of where it's placed in exactly. jesus soliloquy you know yeah, exactly it, it, it is a non sequitur totally mm. um it, it, it also seems to me that um uh, there, there are a few things we can know about the about the person who's interrupting Jesus hmm. here, the person with the non sequitur. Um, uh, the for one thing, it seems he's the younger brother. Mm. It seems he's mm -hmm. the younger brother because in the in the Deuteronomic law, the elder, mm -hmm. the eldest son, was the one who was in charge of the estate, as it were, and they could either hold all of the land together or they could divide it up. But they would be they would be the executor in modern terms. And so the the younger brother is basically going to Jesus and saying, "Look, my older." brother, the eldest brother, the executor of the, of the estate is refusing to share this stuff with me. Uh, can you intervene? And Jesus is saying, well, actually, this is a distraction. And so the second thing I think we can know about the, um, about the, the, the person who interrupts Jesus is that um, Jesus can see into his soul mm -hmm. and that he, he can see that the, that the youngest son is motivated by greed. Um, I mean, I would... I, I'm not sure, perhaps Jesus would have given this exact same response in any context to any person. But what we know is that Jesus gives this response to this particular person, mm -hmm. and he seems to be warning him to be on guard against all kinds of greed. Mm -hmm. um, I don't take it that everybody who uh, has an argument over an estate is motivated by greed. Not right? at all. But this particular person was. And mm -hmm. then he launches into this, into this story about mm -hmm. the motivations behind greed. Mm -hmm. And it's a, I, think it's, um, I think it's the pastoral Jesus, actually. I mean, this can sound pretty harsh. It can sound as though Jesus is saying, you know, don't go to, um, uh, don't, don't go to Charles Schwab and, you know, set up, set up a, an IRA or something like that. I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. But, mm -mm. Uh, you know, it, Jesus, Jesus can see into, the, see into the soul and the heart of this this interrupting guy and can see that he's motivated by greed. And then Jesus gets to the psychological roots of greed, which are not, it's not really greed as such, it's fear. It's mm -hmm. fear and insecurity, right? And then, then you, get, you, get this, uh, uh, you, you get the story of the rich fool, which um, uh, just, just to begin to scratch at the surface of it, I think this is a, I think the, the rich man in this story is motivated both motivated as much by fear for his future and about the desire to make his future secure by having enough stuff, as it were, as he is just by having the stuff as such, right? The just, it's not just that he wants a lot of possessions, it's that he wants to have a lot of possessions so that he can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. 
said he can have ample goods laid up for many years. Um, he's mm -hmm. kind of like the um, he's kind of like uh, the, the the Puritan or Calvinist capitalist in um, <laughs> uh, Max Weber's uh, the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism, where uh, Max Weber says that that what was necessary in order to get um, modern capitalism off the ground was not simply people who wanted stuff, but rather people who would save. Uh, and this guy is a saver. He's hmm. a saver. And so he's not just, it's not just that he's a materialist, right? This guy's not going out and buying a Ferrari. This guy is scared and nervous about his future. And so he is laying up ample goods that his future will be secure. Um, and I, I want to think that that's the third thing we can know about the, about the interrupting person, which is that he's not just greedy, but he's also, he's afraid for his future in some fashion. And uh, I, I mean, uh, this, is, this is a guy with whom I, I, really, um, I really identify, right? There's lots of reasons to be worried about your future, lots of reasons to, mm -hmm. uh, lots of reasons to, to be tempted to secure one's future in, um, in financial wealth. But Jesus just says, that's not the way to do it, because guess what? The Grim Reaper can show up at any time. Mm. Um, anyway, that's, that's uh, mm. too, uh, a little too long for me. Um, but but what, what, do you make of the, what do you make of the rest of the story here? What do you make of the parable um, and so on, or the, the or motivations you, of the interrupting guy, or, or what have you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's good and right to see ourselves in, in these stories. And, and I do think that Jesus says, honestly, I am not a judge of you. And he's not judging this man. He's not judging, you know, anybody about their wealth. He's more drawing attention to the fact of where the man's consciousness is, I think. And, uh, you know, it says the land of a rich man produced abundantly. You know, and this man is thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I have so much, I have garnered so many things by perhaps his inner voice is saying, I've worked so hard or earned all this, I own it, it's mine, you know, I'll keep it for myself and protect it with barns or whatever, barbed wire. You know, there's no one else in the story, no consciousness or concern for giving it away or sharing or, you know, having a party, you know, there's no Babette's Feast in this story, you know? That's a really, really good contrast. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that Jesus is always on that level of where our attention is and it isn't a judgment about guarding your wealth or, or you know, storing it prudently, being a steward. Um, but once again, he, he wants people's consciousness to be outward and to be concerned for um, others and the greater good. And, and in their tradition, in the Old Testament in particular, uh, people were meant to share the land and share the abundance of the land. And not only that, leave some for the stranger, the gleaner, the the person, to, the, even the foreigner to come along and pick up the leftover, leave some on purpose for the foreigners and the people among them to have some enough to eat. So, you know, one definition of greed is just wanting more than enough, you know? And if you have enough and want more, that's one basic definition of greed, mm. right? And so, or it's sort of like, the, there's nothing wrong with wanting a more secure house or a better house or bigger or, you know, fancier, but it's the restlessness until you get it. It's the sort of like 
clawing or, you know, it's the state of consciousness, I think, always that we're in that matters to Jesus, not the thing itself. Yeah. You know, and he, he benefited greatly from wealthy people. He ate at their tables. He, you know, best friends with Mary and Martha who had plenty to fund his mm -hmm. route. And there were lots of people funding the early church that had money. And there's never any judgment about that. It's, it's more the, the sharing of it. And this idea of storing up treasures but not being rich toward God. I mean, God is, you know, we see the image of God in one another and it, you might as well say not rich toward others, mm. you know? Yep. To me, that's a helpful reading that brings it right down to earth in the here and now. If Jesus totally. is all about the kingdom of God is here and within you and it's, that's why I like the, I'm making a lot of free associations here, but <laughs> there's one, translation of the kingdom of God to be the culture of God, mm -hmm. you know, ushering in the culture of God here and now. And so to be rich toward God in the kingdom of God is to be rich toward others now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, totally. I really free associated that just now. But. No, 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 no. I, th I think it's good. I mean, I'm reminded of um, uh, this image from the work of Kierkegaard where um, Kierkegaard says that um, our love for God it's, it's as though there's a forwarding address. I yeah. always forwards it to other people. Yes. Uh, to, forwards it, not that God is an, an, a, a person right. you know, among people, but mm. God always forwards it to people, forwards yeah. it to our neighbors, as yeah. it were. No, I'm totally with you there. Um, mm. Just a, a couple of things about what you said, which is really very, very rich. Um, it's helping me with my sermon. I'm sure it's helping some other people <laughs> with their sermon as they're listening to this. Um, I think you're totally right about his, his, um, his self-consciousness, mm. um, as in his, he's, he's conscious, uh, the rich fool is conscious only of himself. Mm -hmm. um, if you, I mean, notice how many, um, many times the word I yeah. appears. Mm -hmm. So he thought to himself. Right. So that's uh, that, that that that's that's a self. Um, the yeah. self-centered kind of thing. What should I do for I have no place to place my crops? And then, uh, you know, I will do this. I will pull down. Mm -hmm. I will store. And then I will say to my soul, soul, <laughs> which is right. one of my favorite lines in all of scripture. Uh, <laughs> I will say to my soul, soul. Uh, you know, and it, 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 it is kind of ludicrous. I tried really hard not to read it ludicrously whenever uh, we right. were looking at the text the first time, but it is kind of ludicrous. Yeah. But I think it's, it, it's almost meant to be ludicrous yeah. because this guy is, he is, um, he is so self-absorbed. Um, and I, I, I think that he's, um, I like what you say about Jesus is not a judge period over these people, right? Um, I think that the, the self-absorption here is the self-absorption of anxiety, mm -hmm. um, which, is, hmm. which is, I'm not saying that the self-absorption is excusable or good or virtuous, but it's a self-absorption which is um, understandable <laughs> and, and one which, which mm -hmm. um, elicits from me anyway, compassion and identification, solidarity, right? I've been so anxious that I've, all I've been able to think about is just me. I'm just mm -hmm. like trapped, right? Oh, that's a great um, point. Mm -hmm. and, and this is where I think, the, this is one of the places where the rich fool is coming from. And it's it, when we get trapped in the I, 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 I mm -hmm. of fear. I mean, fear's language is the language of I, me, and mine. Mm -hmm. um, when we get trapped in that, it, 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 um, it cuts us off from God and it cuts us off from our neighbors. And mm -hmm. part of the, one of the ways that we can get out of that is simply by reorienting our consciousness, as you were saying, toward becoming rich towards God. Um, and I, I, also, um, I also appreciated that you you mentioned um, that the kingdom in Luke's conception 
is here and now. The kingdom mm -hmm. has come in the Christ, and so it, you know, the, the kingdom is always present and imminent in the Gospel of Luke. It's not something which is in another world, it's not something in another dimension, it's not, uh, and it's not something that's coming in the future necessarily, even if its consummation might come in the future. It's, it's, um, uh, it's something which is present in Jesus right then. And we could, we could um, make an interpretive mistake with this passage if we think Jesus' point is we should be focused on heavenly things as opposed to earthly things. And that's a temptation, mm -hmm. I think, that would have been present in his, um, in his listeners mm -hmm. in this historical context, in the context in which he's you know, talking to this guy who's interrupted him out of his own anxiety, perhaps. Um, and also today, so you know, Jesus' contemporaries would have been familiar with the kind of valorization of the intangible as such, the immaterial as mm -hmm. such. Um, and so not nothing that you could put in a barn, right, but, but spiritual things. They would have been familiar with this in various Jewish Hellenisms, uh, Jewish philosophies mm -hmm. influenced by Greek philosophies like Neoplatonism. Mm -hmm. We're more likely to get it in the New Age section of Barnes & Noble, right, mm -hmm. or in something that's adjacent to the, the spiritual but not religious moniker. And um, at the risk of being unnecessarily provocative and also like misdefining what it means to be spiritual, which I, anyway, but I got a provocative way to put this. I think that this is actually, um, the meaning of this parable is not actually spiritual. The, the, the demand is not spiritual in the sense that Jesus is just saying, prioritize things of the spirit, prioritize intangible things. Rather, the demand is properly religious, that mm -hmm. is prioritize God, <laughs> God's it. It's not that he's not saying, you know, oh, well, the thing which is wrong with the stuff in the barn is the fact that it's material. He's saying that stuff that's, the thing that's wrong with the rich man storing up all these things in the barn is that he's neglecting his duties first mm -hmm. and foremost to God, which is his duty to his neighbor, right? Yeah, and so right it's on. properly a religious demand rather than a spiritual one. Mm -hmm. Now I know that by another definition of spiritual, you could say it's a spiritual demand, but I'm trying <laughs> to be provocative, right? This is the religious but not spiritual Jesus. Jesus right. is not a Neoplatonist. Jesus is not somebody you're gonna find in the New Age section of the of the Barnes and Noble. Jesus is not saying like, you know, just focus on, don't focus on your clothes because your clothes are material. He's not that kind of a guy. Mm -hmm. He's saying don't focus on your clothes because your clothes and your social status, which is conferred to you on their basis, is not going to save you from mm -hmm. dying. Mm -hmm. God is the only one, God is the only sure foundation of any human life. Yeah. That's his point. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, I do, and I think that that frees us up to love others, yeah, right? When I right. look at people who are like incredibly generous, I think it's because they're unafraid. And I think they're unafraid because they've, they're, they're rich in God, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever and everything that that means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm remembering what Peter often says that money is energy. Yeah. And, and so this man's, you know, his energy is kind of the black hole going all towards himself and sucking in everything that he's got and going nowhere, you know. Mm. And then I'm also remembering in the Psalms and the Proverbs, you know, fool comes up a lot, that, that term fool. And in, that, in those wisdom writings, it's usually in this context of the person without sense, without wisdom, without God. Mm. And this man is the fool in the sense that he's only in himself, he has this illusion that he's he's sufficient unto himself <laughs> and i think that's that's the foolish part is for any of us to think that we're alone and in the pastoral ideas that we're not alone we don't have to solve everything by ourselves you know you don't even have to tear on, down your own barn and build a large one by yourself you know if that's what you're going to do you still need others you still need friends you still need community and um 
so I, that, that term, you fool, I think in the literal mm. sense is um, this man is deluded. And mm. his delusions are, are many fold. You know, he thinks he's single and solitary. He thinks he's going to enjoy himself that way. Mm. And he also is not taking into account that the other wisdom literature that all is vanity. You know, everything passes away. All is impermanent. Um, that's not a message that we hear in the Christian tradition as much as, say, in the Buddhist tradition. But in terms of perennial wisdom and, you know, the impermanence of everything, of um, our health, our, our lives, you know, to, to the ultimate is, is our lives are impermanent. And whatever we, we own, we're not going to own it for very long. And, you know, and um, so I really appreciate how you pointed out that, that individualistic way of talking. And it's, it's sort of fun to play with that and think of all the scriptures where people are having conversations, whether it's Adam and Eve with God in the garden, and then in comes the creature to divert their attention away from God and give them a different message. And, you know, whose voice are they listening to? Then they talk to each other to kind of like reinforce their poor choice and help each other think, well, you know, just yeah. this one bite or whatever, <laughs> you know? And uh, then you get, um, you know, this guy talking all to himself. And then, you know, you have things like Jesus talking on the, the cross to the, um, there was a great sermon about this that I came across and I just can't remember who preached it, but it, it was something I read online once, but he was talking about these conversations and the conversation with Jesus on the cross with the two thieves, you know, that man's dialogue is with Jesus and he's practically in paradise, yet he's on the cross. You know what I mean? So there's these ideas of Eden, the paradise. This man thinks he's in paradise because he can relax, eat, drink, be merry for many years to come, you know? And then, so, you know, there's, there, there, I think the conversational aspect of this story is so genius, just the, the dialogue is really a monologue and mm. it's brilliant. I, I love what you said about the soul that, you know, he's even addressing himself as soul. It's mm. got comedic value in a way. I totally, I, I, I think there's, um, there's no better last word than the one with which you, you just began, which is that um, uh, the, the cure, as it were, for the rich man's condition and for the anxious interrupter's condi spiritual condition is simply realizing they're not alone. Mm -hmm. they're not, they are neither without God nor friends, and that changes everything, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to be alone uh, either. Uh, next <laughs> week, Father Peter will be back with us, uh, and um, we look forward to getting back into conversation with him too. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for hanging with us here. Uh, we pray God's blessings upon you in the summer Sabbath season, uh, which I also know are the dog days of summer. Uh, stay cool wherever it is that you are. Uh, and um, please like, share, and subscribe, and help us to share the good news that we are not alone, not one of us, uh, that God is with us in Jesus Christ uh, with a world in great need of that message. Thanks so much. God bless you. Bye-bye.